0: Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, and I'm here to help Paul run through the big stories of the week that have appeared in the final week of March 2023 at ThisIsCommonSense.org.
1: Assumptions Attack. Uh, That was Mondays.
0: Yeah, that was uh, your title, too.
1: It's been an interesting week, and uh, at the the end of it, a little different than the beginning with Trump being indicted, and so we will... uh, We'll talk about that. But I wanted to mention four of the scripts and uh, and then deal with one of them, uh, which is why we fight, which had lots of comments uh, back and forth. Some good, some not so not so friendly. But uh, but anyway, uh, to just go through the scripts this week, uh, another interesting week on in planet Earth. On planet Earth, maybe inside too. Who knows? That's where the aliens come from, isn't it? Apparently, yeah. So, uh, Assumption's Attack is basically a, sort of a heartwarming story about Afro Man, a rapper who the police you'll see why it's heartwarming at the end, uh, the uh, or something funny, maybe. Uh, the police thought he was dealing drugs, apparently, and so they basically did a raid on his home uh, with his family home. He wasn't home. And they did a very thorough search, I'm sure, uh, and came up with nothing. But during the search, of course, that was captured on video surveillance in his house and his wife uh, used her cell phone, uh, smartphone to take some movies And then he did several uh, rap songs uh, with in the video showing some of this footage. And by golly, the police are livid that their their privacy has been, you know, just stomped on in such a way violated beyond all belief. Sort of funny, sort of sad that they think that they could go to court uh, to somehow get damages uh, because they happen to, you know, basically force their way into someone's house, an innocent person's house that they have no charge against and were recorded uh, doing what they do. And that
0: was on Monday.
1: That was Monday. And then we had the uh, the giveaway epidemic on Tuesday. And this is a number of cities. This particular one was Washington, D.C., but a number of our cities Uh, And this is almost all because they're just flush with money because of all the money that was pumped out to city and state governments during the pandemic. They didn't need it, just like they put money in my account, other people's accounts who I think we would have survived without it. And they did the same thing with cities and states and they're awash with money. And so Washington, D.C. has decided that they're going to pay uh, millions, I believe it was $90 million in uh, uh, medical debts uh, for people who happen to be in debt in Washington, D.C. And uh, it is going to get to the point where, you know, we're having to run the printing presses a lot in order to come up with all the money we owe ourselves
0: you contrast that with some of the other schemes in other cities i mean it's not just washington dc as you briefly mentioned it no really and is.
1: and and we we had a uh, to do this week because you said hey i can't find the script we did on san francisco and reparations and and it's not just that you thought we probably did something you have kind of a recollection i have the same recollection and nowhere, you know, not that we put down everything else we had to do this week and and searched hour after hour, but apparently we haven't written anything, even though we both think that something was written, we haven't written anything about uh reparations in San Francisco. And maybe you know, a lot of times it's just you know, low-hanging fruit like that you you almost ignore. And,
0: and well, I tell you, I it, it it's like the Mandela effect. To the nth degree, I just have it so clear <laughs> in my hand. Yes, um, but you know, I don't even remember what month that was in. It was
1: fairly now, recently, January. I thought. And the story has continued because it—that was the in January the commission came out. This is San Francisco, and said, you know, every uh, black resident of uh, San Francisco, and of course, they didn't necessarily define black because, of course, a lot of us are all—we're not just one racial makeup in our DNA. And, uh, and so, but they didn't really define what that would mean. And of course, California never had slavery. Um, and you know, in some cases, uh, you know, it's like, what, what happens if someone is half white and half black? Do they, do they write themselves a check? I mean, it's, it's somewhat insane. And of course they don't have the money, but it went from that commission, which could come up with whatever, whatever it wanted, who elected officials and elected officials in, in San Francisco are looney tunes enough that, that they just, yes, okay, well, let's discuss how we're going to give everybody just millions of dollars and 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 uh, basically release all their debts. And it's never been quite clear, are you going to basically say they don't have to pay their debts or are you going to pay all their debts? And it, it's a uh, you know, I'm constantly reminded that in in so many of these racial things, it's not like this is bubbling up really from the black community uh, in San Francisco. I, I, I just see case after case, same thing's true with a lot of trans issues and LGBTQ issues. Um, it's, it, we have professional agitators and and there's nothing wrong with agitators. I proudly consider myself an agitator. Agitators are good people to have around. But when they're fixated on things that are harmful and destructive, they're not really very valuable anymore. And, and I think so much of this comes from Marxists attempting to create issues that rip people apart. And it does sort of make you mad. That that there are people who that's that's what they want to do. Um no solutions, but but lots of ways to wallow in and and uh and increase the pain and and suffering.
0: Yeah, a lot of this comes from colleges. Uh, I, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Yes. And and that's how it got into the corporations. I mean, you go to college with goofy degrees and you have to do something with them. You go into HR departments or you go into or you go into the bureaucracy of a city, and then what? What are you gonna do with yourself? You're gonna apply what you know, and what you know is dumb. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: We, on Wednesday, this wasn't uh, your. This is not your big story of the week. This is no mystery, just confusion. And what is that about? It's about something about
1: you know, what. This is. This is. Uh, we. I think we talked a little bit about. Uh, geez, I'm gonna forget his name. The uh, the guy uh, uh, doll, uh, who. Just recently. Oh, yeah. Roald Dahl. Yeah. Uh, just recently, you know, they rewrote some of his books because, you know, the language didn't fit modern sensibilities, uh, at least their sensibilities. And now they're changing some stuff with Agatha Christie. And uh, so we we mentioned that. But also. Um, we talked about the shooter in Nashville and how. Uh, you know, there's kind of a, a process that the country goes through. There's a process that kind of normal people go through of, oh, my God. And geez, that's horrible. And thinking about, you know, what could be done and, and have, you know, people of all different persuasions with all different things that could be done. And then there is the professional media politician agitator, uh, uh, you know, take on things. And of course. With with this, it was a trans man, um, but because of that, it was the media had a hard time. You know, you kill a bunch of people. It it could be a nun, the 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 serial killing nun. You know, still a nun. <laughs> you know, at the moment, I'm sure they'll, sure she'll be. What is that, defrocked or something, or excommunicated? She won't. She won't be kept around the office for long, the church for long. Um, but would we have trouble saying it was really bad because it was a nun, or because it was a you know a, a great figure skater, or and and there's also this this sense that if we say a murder was committed by a trans person that the country will go crazy and everyone will rush out and find trans people to beat up and kill. And while there are sick and twisted individuals in this sick and twisted, sick, sad world that we live in. um, I don't think that that's going to happen a whole lot. We hear the same sort of thing. Like you, you can't criticize China because all of a sudden there'll be all this anti Asian hate. And I don't think criticizing China really has anything to do with anti-Asian hate. Some people hate. And then when they do their hating and their hating becomes violence and brutal, then they want to excuse it on somebody else. Oh, somebody said something and that set him off. It's the person who beats someone up or kills them or something awful that is responsible. And, and this idea that we would, not condemn murder because it's, uh, and that's not quite what happened here, but, but it, because it's a trans person who did it or, or shh, let's not talk about who did it. Um, you know, oftentimes it's male people who do these things. And that was the other part of it, that everyone was scared that, oh, this is a woman. and But maybe it's maybe because she's trans, a trans man, we can blame it on men or maybe not. We're confused. We don't know. It proves he's a man. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but that's the thing. I've had discussions with people about, you know, men are overwhelmingly the murderers in our society. Sure. Men are overwhelmingly the rapists in our society. Not as overwhelmingly as people might think if they actually looked at the statistics. And I don't even want to get into a discussion about how women can sexually abuse people, but including men, but it's, it's, great. it's a crazy world, and it happens. Uh, yeah. But all of that is true, and yet, as a man, I don't feel like anyone has a right to look down on me because I haven't done those things. And and in the same way, it, I mean, you just have to be crazy to criticize a government somewhere like China and think that somehow when you do that, you're really saying Chinese people are bad. And, and why would we know that that's not the case? Because we live in America and because we criticize our government all the time, but we're not talking about us, <laughs> you know? We're talking about them. And, and of course, that's the problem, is that we we don't feel like we're getting much representation. I think government would be, for one, a lot more respectful of people's level of freedom and their level of choice and decision-making if it were more representative of how real people think about things. But of course, over time, you it seems like you lose more and more of that, that the social media is helpful in that way. And, and I'm not one of these people. This latest thing that social media is like tobacco or something, and it twists everybody and is killing us all. Look, then stop doing it. It's as simple as that. It's not really addictive. All kinds of people have left it easier than they can leave cigarettes, and uh, and but I think it does help because it's a it's a system that makes it very easy to weaponize everything that happens in the world, and and uh, and to push it out there and to put people kind of on the spot so that there's not as much. There's a lot more knee jerk. And a lot less thoughtful. I've been thinking about that for the last week. You're the first person I've had a chance to talk about it with. No, it's all instantaneous, and and that's not that's not as helpful.
0: No, I think that there is a great deal of uh, truth to you know that uh, social media has been a huge corrupter of the youth. I think it has really been a huge problem, um, and I think pornography is the what really has wounded girls so much. And I don't think men generally understand it as much because we look at pornography differently than women look at pornography. I know that sounds strange to say, but I just firmly believe this. I, I,
1: I think that probably is true, and and I don't I don't know because I'm not a woman, but uh, but my sense is that women probably statistically look at a lot less pornography.
0: And I think they look at it differently. I mean, I, I've known a lot of women who find it extremely offensive in a way that men tend not to look at it as offensive. And I think part of it is because how women are portrayed in pornography, they just don't look, they don't want to look at sex that way. That's just generally, and men don't mind looking at sex. I
1: first. don't want to look at sex that way either. And, well, there's and, a
0: lot of things I don't I don't look at at all because it's just so disgusting. But that's beside the point. Uh, but, it, but the other thing that can't be stressed enough hardly is that there's a difference between governments and people and ideologies and individuals and groups of people. And we have to keep these things separate all the time. And the last piece you wrote this week, The Regime Shows Its Fangs, gets that idea of the, of the government separate from the people pretty well. That's pretty, pretty clear in that piece.
1: Yes. And it also is pointing out something that, you know, as I get older, I've become very afraid about where we are in this world. I think our politics has gotten much, 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 much worse. You know, I was almost hopeful during the 90s, and I just think it's gotten much worse. And I worry that that's just me getting old and crotchety or something. And this, there are constantly events that happen that are problematic and that suggest that, no, Paul, it's not just you getting old and crotchety. We are crossing Rubicons. And sometimes, especially when governments cross them, it's it is a bad thing and it's hard to get them back across the line. And uh, I think the FBI or the uh, uh, IRS uh, during uh, the 2010s, during Obama's time, uh, stopping all kinds of conservative groups from getting their 501 C4 status. To where they could have a nonprofit that was recognized, and they wouldn't have to worry about somehow they're spending money on stuff, and you know the IRS comes in and says, "Oh, this is a for-profit business, and we're and you owe us all this tax money." That was a big deal because it was about political organizing. It was the government actively blocking people from politically organizing. Something you wouldn't be shocked at if it happened in Egypt. But something that you should be shocked at if it happens in the United States of America. Not only did it happen, but that at that time, this is pre-Trump, the left-wing media, no other proper, uh, accurate, precise name for them than that. That's the mainstream media. But why say mainstream? Just left-wing. They're to the left of the Democratic Party. They didn't cover it. Wasn't for Fox and and you know what uh, OAN and few networks Newsmax. Uh, I don't even know if Newsmax was going then, but Newsmax is is growing, and uh, that's a good sign. Uh, and not so much because everything Newsmax says is right, but because any alternative media. It'd be great to see a bunch of them growing because we have a a terrible system. But they the the IRS behaved terribly and they basically got away with it. Lois Lerner, uh, you know, retired with a wonderful six-figure pension and all kinds of health benefits and everything else. She was never held to account. Remember, when she was questioned about it, she took the Fifth Amendment, which is her right to take the Fifth Amendment. But she's working for us. And when asked about what she did, refuse to say. This is, it's a big problem. And our national media, it's not even a story. If they wrote the history book, it would never make it in the history book. And now we have Matt Taibbi, a renowned journalist who gets berated, as we wrote about here, uh, during a congressional hearing by a bunch of idiot Congress people. But of course, I repeat myself because they're always idiots. And they they act like, who is he and what is he doing? And then we find out that on the day he's testifying, the IRS sends an agent to his house. Now, big disclaimer, we don't yet know. It seems anything about this. And I don't know what Taibi is, you know, thinking what what why they were there Uh But they don't do a lot of home visits. Because of course, if the IRS comes to your home, it's incredibly intimidating. Almost everything they do is through the mail. And that's intimidating enough. Um, And the fact that they were there on that day, it's, it's something's wrong there. Something is seriously wrong. And it's also seriously wrong that people who are on the other side of the Twitter files or whatever's going on right now, aren't saying, I'm talking about people in official positions, aren't saying, hey, Biden administration, IRS, you're a congressman, come out and say this. You've got to talk to the American people about what you're doing here. We need to know now, within days, hours, what's going on here we need some sort of report or we need some sort of reason why you can't tell us what you're doing because or and and here's another way they could biden could step up and say this is not anything that my administration would ever do as an intimidation device that would be a criminal offense that would be a huge civil rights violation. And anybody in my administration at any level who did something like that, I would do everything in my power and I'm the president of the United States, so I've got a bunch of it to get that person out right now. Um, and so this is this is serious stuff. It's a non-story. It's pretty much a non-story. I mean, it's a story to you and me, Tim, and, and some of our viewers and uh but it's it's a fox news story it's not a major story and it it that's the scariest part
0: i remember that uh, the learner story isn't she the woman who met uh clinton on the tarmac so to speak isn't that the, that big story
1: no 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 that's uh that was um that was a judge i think that he met or the fbi FBI director or something. It was someone, okay. or maybe it was a prosecutor. Someone associated with the Clinton case. It was Loretta Lynch. Yes, yes. Who was the uh, AG? I think.
0: Right, and I get Loretta Lynch and, or Lois and a, maybe.
1: Yes, yes I,
0: yes. I get I get the names confused. That's a, that's a, that's all.
1: You know, I, I've written about this at is dot org, but uh, Lois Lerner used to be at the FEC before she was at the irs and i remember when the story broke i thought boy that name rings a bell and then it it dawned on me who she was uh we had we got a complaint from mike sarnar in oklahoma we did ads in his district basically informing people in the democratic primary Uh, he was running against a 70 year old teacher who spent i think two thousand dollars in the entire campaign and uh uh beat mike sinar in that in that uh primary which is almost unheard of sinar spent hundreds of thousands if not a million plus and uh this is 1994 and sinar said uh you better watch out if turbulence people are in your district because it could cost you four or five points that's what his polling was showing or at least what he said and uh and then also filed a uh a complaint um that somehow we should have been able to do what we did, and there was nothing illegal, even under the completely ridiculous laws that that govern campaign finance, absolutely nothing uh cost us probably the better part of a hundred thousand dollars in legal fees to deal with all the BS of their investigation and send them files. We've dared to speak. And so the commissar wants our files. And, uh, and that's exactly what it is. And if you're there, instead of, you know, thinking about how you actually fund campaigns and stuff, if you're actually in it, it feels a lot like, you know, the, the commissar or whoever, So we send her all this stuff. They've got nothing, of course, because we did everything by the book. And and so we basically find out that they're gonna drop the case. So they send us a letter uh, and and I remember reading, well, I'll I'll say, they send us this letter that basically says uh, we have reason to believe that you've committed a crime. (laughs) <laughs> they don't say it quite crime, or but that you violated the campaign finance, but, but we have decided not to pursue the matter. And I'm sitting like uh, I fly to Oklahoma. I'm sitting in a in a uh the next day in a in a diner eating breakfast, and I open up the newspaper, banner headline across the uh the newspaper. Now, this is just after we've gone through all this crap, and they basically have found nothing. And they've ended their their deal. Headline: Term Limits Group violates law, FEC says. So, so this is how this is how they function. And this is Lois Lerner at the FEC was one of the people pushing these investigations and then trying to get as much press as possible to attack your political opponents because. To her, the proper role of government is as a thug force beating the hell out of either in verbiage or legal fees, maybe not fisticuffs and actually beating you in a prison. Maybe maybe Lois Lerner never thought about putting any of us in tiger chairs or anything. But she believed the government ought to be able to harass and punish groups. When no wrongdoing was found whatsoever. And that's a scary, I mean, that 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 woman spent decades making policy in Washington, DC at the highest levels of the FEC and uh and the IRS.
0: That's four pieces out of five. Yeah, so we've age- talked
1: a long time. We <laughs> I said, you know, we're gonna zoom through those and uh I wanna talk about why we fight, which was um it was about recruiting. We got a bunch of comments. It was about military recruiting in the country. It was an article saying they fallen short, and that the article was a little bit hype. Uh, the The army fell twenty five percent short. Uh, I think the air force was ten percent, something like that, and the uh, navy was short some some you know officers they hope to recruit or whatever, and some of it from the from the uh, pandemic uh, and other things something not mentioned in this article and you raised it and and it just hadn't hadn't been in the the piece that I had read or the coverage that I had seen about it and so I didn't raise it but but the fact that they had the mandate and they were kicking people out of the military uh, probably also made it harder to get people in and I think it was uh, Pat uh who uh or pam I get them confused what's good what's bad uh, sort of and uh one usually is is attacking me and the other is uh usually agreeing with me but correcting here that that was another factor and i i just left a message uh, not long ago saying uh you know you're right that that was a factor in it there's also a question of how much is the woke you know culture of the military is that helping recruiting hurting recruiting I suspect it's not helping and uh but i also suspect that the biggest problem with recruiting and it comes through in in some of the things people have said is that it's a scarier world today in many many ways um and And the military involves like going overseas. So there was some talk about how it didn't, it wasn't, you know, it didn't fit young people's work-life balance expectations or whatever. And I was thinking, yeah, you can say that again. Um, You know, being deployed overseas, fighting to the death, that's not the kind of thing that going, oh, that's a great job. Um, And it just dawns on me that, I would like to have, I think the the number one thing to make sure that you could hit necessary recruiting goals would to be be having a president who could say, and there were several people who said what you said to me, Tim, which is Biden, Biden, it's not time for Biden to come out and say this because nobody would believe him, but to come out and sell us. And by sell us, I mean, make the argument for why we need people to join the military. If we're, if we're just the worst society ever in the history of the world, what are we doing? And, and frankly, if you make the case and you say, we need to police, police every inch of the globe, well, then you're gonna get some people to join, but I think a lot of other people aren't gonna join. But I think that a president today could come out and make the case that we need you, we need you young people. What if the president at every stop, you know, said, and and by the way, I want to take a minute and talk to people who are young and, and let you know we missed our recruiting goals for the military. And in this day and age, everything's so nice. We've got our phones, we've got everything else. But, you know, this world could change dramatically if if Xi Jinping leads the uh, Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army across the Taiwan Strait and attacks Taiwan, uh, you know, those those phones may not be may not be coming anymore. Uh, there You know, there's a lot of stuff going and. It doesn't necessarily mean like like make the case for for why we need to pre- be prepared and building more military um. Uh, capability in terms of producing material. There's a lot of talk now about uh, that that you know the weaponry being used in Ukraine is leaving us short for other places. I think about Taiwan, but the, you know, it's not the only place. This country has run around the world for the last five, six, uh, seven, eight uh, decades. Um, much of it good, a lot of it not so good. A lot of it bad, but much of it good. Uh in World War II, fighting, fighting terrible forces. Um, and I think we could have done it in different ways, but but we have promised a whole bunch of people we're going to defend them. And I see the world coming to a point at which that we're going to be called on it unless they are convinced that we can do it. And we are giving all kinds of signals that we might not be up to the job. And it seems to me we want we want a president to give different signals. And I am all for the American people deciding which countries, which alliances they want to be part of, how they want foreign policy to go. And I think it's going to be essential that there be buy in from the American public. And since we're so splintered, it seems to me to be kind of a perfect storm for someone to step in and make the case for why America ought to defend itself and connect with key allies to make sure that free countries aren't overrun by authoritarian totalitarian forces. And, and if, you, you know, if you can't do that, then we're we're these next five years I think are going to be a very miserable slide to oblivion, um, and if you can do it, it seems to me that the you know I, I worry about technology leading us to a really bad place, and yet I recognize that uh, technology and and uh, and you know brain power the the world smarter and and more capable. Uh, we could have a nice future instead of a horrible one
0: well there you are that's <laughs> that's the uh that's the fifth piece of the week it was on thursday though it was, uh, it was on it thursday you wrote, wrote on thursday yeah that was the piece that i, I think i disagreed with you most on. Huh?
1: yes yes um well I, although i don't think like i i don't think you're you i think you disagree with me most on that somehow why why even call on biden
0: to do that well that's a kind of an obvious point yeah yeah well, like, he, like I said to me he's the Manchurian candidate he's the designated person to take America down the down down the road that China wants to go so that's what we got we're going that direction because that's what the people have chosen
1: <laughs> no it is uh it it boy it just does seem that that somebody could come out and and speak to things because You know, I I applaud Donald Trump for blowing up our relationship with China um, because it was a horrible relationship, empowering a a genocidal totalitarian regime at our own expense. Seems like a great relationship to blow up. I'm not sure that he didn't do it just because he's kind of an arrogant SOB. Uh, And um, no offense to, to anyone other than Donald Trump there. But
0: I'm, or other I, uh, or other arrogant SOBs we've done.
1: I'd like to. That's right. That's right. Sometimes, uh, sometimes that's almost an endearing uh, uh, right. phrase. But, but I'm I, I don't want Donald Trump back. And I and I wonder, you know, yesterday and we haven't written anything about it yet. Uh, but yesterday uh, came out that he was indicted 30 something counts. We don't know anything more. Uh, but you know that could be thirty counts of the same thing, or it could be different things. Um, the Washington Post today, in their printed edition, I think I think it would be uh, uh, dated March thirtieth. Online, did an editorial uh, basically talking about the case is shaky, uh, and and suggesting that this is not this is not the case. Uh, You know, of course, they had to kind of mealy mouth terms, but but that this was not the case that that you'd want to bring against a former president, Uh, that it's it's a very iffy case, questions of law here, questions of of whether he did anything, you know, that that you could directly tie him to. Um, I mean, authorizing a payment to someone is not a crime. And and so it's it just it, it's strikes.
0: also interpretively. I mean, the very the key thing is that you know he, he paid off Stormy Daniels to not talk about you know that that wondrous night of theirs, and uh, and uh, the night they didn't have. Well, if they did have it, I well, mean,
1: he says they did not.
0: But oh, right, he's a liar, obviously. <laughs> uh, but They say it's a campaign finance thing, and you know that's one way of looking at it. The other is. Maybe he doesn't want to get out that he paid a a hooker to have sex with him while his wife was pregnant with his child, his his well, youngest she's a, son. She's
1: a porn star, not a hooker. But uh, oh, I
0: think all porn stars are hookers. That's all they are. <laughs> I mean, they're just doing it different different way. I mean, it's they have, they get sex for money.
1: I guess you could make that argument.
0: Yeah, I mean but they're the, harlots anyway. Uh, but the, anyway, the interesting
1: so. thing though is that there's been a big case. There was the big case uh, with with uh, Edwards, uh, John Edwards. Yeah, John. Was is it John?
0: Yeah, because it sort of rhymes. John North Carolina, F-
1: so right? Yeah. Right. Uh, but he paid his mistress a bunch of money, and you know that ended up getting thrown out and hung jury in one case, and I think acquitted in the other charge. And it, these, you know, it I I can't help but think part of the motivation is to help Trump win the primaries there was such an effort in 2016 the media i remember morning joe which i sometimes torture myself with in the morning it, it helps wake me up you know like being like being tortured oh i'm awake now and uh uh but they were so nice to donald trump so nice to donald trump and the moment it he had the Republican nomination, he was Mister Evil, and I think that this indictment is likely to dramatically help Donald Trump, um, and it and it, it it creates that whole mystique that they keep going after him, they can't get him. Um, you know, if you have some serious charge, bring it. The the problem here isn't that someone brought a charge against a former president the problem is the charge they brought and the case that they have but we'll, we'll see it play out but i think that's i think that's very problematic and and i i figure uh uh i think we should let the the election you know take its own course i think that uh i think donald trump has a much tougher time getting the nomination in 2024 than he did in 2016 and and so i'd like to see that play out
0: one thing you haven't mentioned that everybody else is talking about so you probably should mention it i mean on the right anyone people are calling this the death of democracy the re- the return of you know of uh, old-fashioned uh, you know banana republic politics where you persecute your your political opponents and this is the first american president you know former american president who's been arrested um, I have a cat in front of me, so it's it's somewhat yes. difficult to, to talk. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but and I understand I, that, well, the point is pretty obvious. It seems to me also, though it's it's not as if every president couldn't be prosecuted for something. So there's a part of me that sort of I understand kind of what the the Democrats are up to, because boy, wouldn't it be nice to get some of these uh, these old these old presidents and show them to be the, the cruel fiends they are? This is off 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 penny ante compared to what they do, that they've done though. It's not murdering people in Yemen. It's not, not dropping bombs on Syria. It's not bombing, dropping bombs elsewhere. It's not, it's not all the lies they've told. And they, it, it, it's, it's paying off a hooker. I mean,
1: mm. well, it, I, I don't want to go after these other guys. Um, you know, I, I tend to think that uh, that going after Nixon You know, might have might have been more might have been healthier for the country than not going after Nixon. But I have to say, I understand the motivation not to go after him. And and uh, there are there are politicians who, uh, you know, who have suffered for their badness. And, you know, I think you always you you don't want them to suffer too much. You know, I I, I don't want to get in the, the locker up Hillary stuff. And I think that the Clintons have gotten away with all kinds of just obvious crimes, in the same way that the Biden family has.
0: Well, murder, um, yeah. Murder.
1: Well, that <laughs> I think is less obvious. But well, but Christopher, sign. Up, I,
0: love, I want to hear the sign case. But you can go on.
1: Well, anyway, I, I don't want want to lock her up, um, okay. and I think I think people should be very reluctant to lock anybody up, and and politically true, uh, too, and. Uh, It's the sort of thing that I don't I don't think you can look at it and say it's the death of democracy, though, Um, because we have democracy is the ability to push back in and with with new laws, with new people in office, by by a jury saying not guilty. Uh, Although I'll tell you in New York uh, or in D.C., if I'm a Trump person and I'm on trial, I think I want the judge.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. And not the
1: jury. Yeah. yeah yeah so that's uh but it it is this is I think what's so terrible about this is rarely do you have charges like this that are so immediately before you've even seen them all panned by powerful forces like the Washington Post that hates trump and and so there's a lot of there's a lot of folks that you know this isn't just Fox News or Republicans who are saying. That this might be problematic, they, you know, the the Justice Department looked at charges here and decided against, and so you know these are these are not people friendly to Trump, and they look at this as a very shaky legal case, and it's a problem because we might have to prosecute a former president at some time in the future, and you don't want you don't want to further preclude that. By having you know case law of of all kinds of political vendettas and, well, there and we that, go. you know it, that would have, the second impeachment of Trump seemed to me to be that sort of thing and and it it you know I was the least sympathetic to to Trump at that juncture just because I think I think even if you hold him blameless for january sixth um you i don't like the way you behaved after the election i think anybody who's president of the united states you've made it you've made it your mom's happy just just leave when it's time to leave that's the only thing you got to do and 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 leave as a gentleman or a gentle lady and um and and he didn't
0: yeah that's a complex case in part because you know he played into the pitch the Democrats gave him in 2016. And when Hillary charged, the whole thing, the setup was, will you accept the results of an election? Uh, and and then of course the, the irony was he got they in and accepted. they didn't accept. So right. there, the, this whole period has been rich with irony. And I agree with you in 2020, that was the year that Trump failed. Uh, he failed in several grounds. I think he was yes. mainly failed. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mainly on COVID, but also he knew that there were things arrayed against him during the election, and he didn't make proper preparations for them. There should have been lawsuits up the proverbial yes. uh, yes. rear end of the Constitution, uh, all over the place. Just, just I, to in.
1: I think their legal team was weak, and 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 not weak, so weak that not only was it it. Uh, Not robust in terms of the number of lawyers, but, you know, Powell, Sidney Powell and some of the others just, you know, I don't know what they were thinking because they never came up with any real rationale. And I know of all kinds of irregular irregularities that went on in the election that could be talked about and pointed to as a problem, but they're very hard to. For any judge to somehow, you know, they could say, hey, yeah, that was a mistake, but there's all these ballots now and they've been counted and here's how they shape up. And unless you have actual proof that this ballot or that ballot or whatever is is in, you know, should be invalidated, there's nothing they can do about it. So it's it's you know, I I don't I don't have anything against Trump for not liking the way the election was held. I have something against Trump for not making a rational case to the American people about what it was and not behaving in a way that was respectful of the office and of the people. Um, You, you make that case. You, if you can't win um, look, if you're going to, if you think it's, it rises to the level of revolution, insurrection, whatever, well then then, you know, you got the microphone, you can say it, but don't don't bitch and moan forever. It It's very well, it's not so unlike Trump because he bitch and moans a lot, but it's unlike people who get a lot of stuff done. To bitch and moan about it, figure out a solution. If there's not a solution, move on and figure out the next possible solution. And, and the truth is, I think Trump would be a formidable 2024 candidate. Had he left the White House as he should have in 2020?
0: Yeah, I think that's almost certainly true. I agree with you there. Um, I want to defend Nixon for a moment. Uh, now, your point about Nixon was that it was probably good they didn't prosecute him after he left. But we should be remember that he was hounded about out of office. Deep throat was an FBI was the was, was the subdirector of the FBI. So this was very much like the Trump years, where Trump was hounded by the FBI and by the, by the deep state or the permanent government of the United States. He was basically the enemy of the permanent government, and Nixon was too. To me, there's interesting parallels between he and Nixon. Nixon, though, was very patriotic. For instance, in 1960, he believed that he was cheated out of the election by the, by the, by the mafia and the Kennedys. Uh, that there was there was a very close election, yes, and he believed yes. there was electoral fraud that did it, and he didn't complain. Unlike Trump, he didn't complain because, well, he thought it'd be bad for the country. But the difference between Trump and the reason he's liked on the right now is that Nixon nicety has to go. Their attitude is the people who hate us will hate us forever. We must oppose them on every count, and so that's where the that's where the war is now. They're just where they're just no longer compliant. And I, I, I sympathize. Yeah, No, I, I I, think, that, of course, they're they're complete fabulous on the nature of the world. So it's hard for me to get involved with, you know, a pro-Trump movement when I don't think Trump understands the world or they understand the world. So, for instance, they he didn't understand the deep state. He understands it now, I would hope. But it doesn't well, sound
1: I'm not I'm not sure he does now, because That's a good I, question, how, isn't you, it? how could you at the end of four years not not understand it? You've talked about it. But, but I want to go back to Nixon just briefly because, um, you know, Nixon was a very smart man. And I said during the Clinton impeachment crisis and all that stuff that the difference between Clinton and Nixon is that Nixon had shame. And Nixon stepped down because he, like, grew up with, like, some sense of, okay, now you've committed a serious wrong and you should feel shame. And, and Clinton was just beyond that no matter what, but Nixon was a bad guy. Nixon, there are tapes of Nixon on the phone with Halderman checking on whether he was able to hire thugs to go beat up anti-war demonstrators. Now, that's not just a crime, that's a violent crime. And it's, you know, nothing, you know, he's worse than Lois Lerner, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, so, well it's
0: also he didn't realize until after the fact that the the plumbers for the job at uh, at at the oh uh, you know, my the Watergate Hotel yes. Yes. that the plumbers were all XCI agents. That's not r- readily recognized, but so the extent to which he was set yes. up has to be wondered. We have to wonder
1: about that. You know, it's it's funny. Um, And you don't know how paranoid he was, but if you were politically awake at that time, and I was 12 years old in 1972, and I was very politically awake, and I knew that Nixon was going to win in a walk, and he did. He crushed McGovern. And, uh, And they did all kinds of dirty tricks to the McGovern campaign and so on. But it was like, that was such a foregone conclusion. It's amazing that you would do anything, you know, to, and of course what they were doing wasn't, wasn't just the democratic party. It was also to get Ellsberg and stuff like that. So, uh, so it was, but
0: very interesting time because from 72, he was the most popular president in U S history. And then by the time he left, it was that in 74. Yes. It was in 74. So yes. it was
1: two years, two and a half years, two, two years. years in yeah. Yeah. It, 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 Two years from the most, the biggest landslide in American history to I'm resigning and they're going to let me leave without handcuffs.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting time in America, but it's also, it's just what a strange thing to see how well orchestrated that was, if it was orchestrated. It seemed that with the FBI and the CIA, which we now know work together to to, uh, to defend Democrats. Against Republican presidents who they who are too popular for their own good. (laughs) That's that's really what we have here. And and I remember in in school, I remember the teachers grumbling about how awful Nixon was and how betrayed they felt. But they were Democrats. They never liked him in the first place. I think they're basically just liars. My teachers were liars, is that they lied to themselves about their feelings of betrayal. I don't believe they felt betrayed at all. I believe they felt betrayed by the United States people who voted in somebody they hated, and they hated Nixon. Democrats really hated him, and certainly the elites hated him. And teachers have always been, you know, pseudo elites. I mean, teachers are part of the elites. They're the they're the they're the the mass which support the Democratic Party because they're you know they're the you know, just what they are, public school teachers. Generally. Well,
1: in 1968, when of course Nixon won. I moved to Arkansas from outside New York and New Jersey. Um, I I was eight years old. We moved to Arkansas. It's very hot in Arkansas. And so people don't go outside so much in the, I mean, they go to the pool. We went and played baseball in the morning, but, uh, but you, you know, we sat inside a lot in the air conditioning. And I remember watching the full coverage of the Republican and National Democratic Committee uh, conventions. And okay, uh, yes. was, the Democrats was a very, very interesting show because you had to, you had what was happening outside on the streets of Chicago. But that was a that was a wonderful education uh, for me at eight years old to be able to see those entire conventions. My parents were very political um. And and, you know, it was just it was it was very, very interesting. And my parents, I the first time I ever got on TV in my life was 1968, carrying a Nixon's the one sign down uh, a downtown Little Rock Street. And by 1972, uh, my parents couldn't stand Nixon. And the biggest break they had with Nixon was wage and price controls. And interestingly enough, that was also what kind of led to a lot of folks uh, or several folks coming together and forming the Libertarian Party was the wage and price controls.
0: And that and going off the gold standard completely, the giving up the giving up the last shred of precious metal back uh, backing of the money. Uh, Yeah, it's an interesting time. I had, you know, we were not political as family, probably because my parents were split on politics. And my father was Union Democrat, a Scoop Jackson kind of person. Right. And my mother was a was a I mean he called her a mugwump, and uh, and uh, so he she voted her conscience and conscience and for individuals and generally she didn't approve of Democrats. I think basically she didn't like Democrats. She in '68 I remember her kind of seething about how she didn't approve of just the look of Hubert Humphrey. <laughs> uh, she referred to him as a banty rooster, and. And that really isn't a bad description of his physique and general bearing. Uh, Banty Rooster is, is kind of okay. I never, I mean, I didn't get the appeal of Nixon ever. When I got interested in politics was the summer of the uh, Watergate hearings. I watched them all the way through. And that was the I first thought... real political stuff that I ever got involved in.
1: Yeah, I did watch a lot of that. There was, uh, you know, it's amazing how much access with no C-SPAN and so on, how much access there was to political events like that.
0: Well, if you were staying home that summer and it happened during the day, it was on the networks, I believe. It was CBS or ABC. Yeah. Yeah. I watched them, uh, and it was very interesting. I mean, it was sort of an education in, it, in its own way. Uh, but I, I didn't. Yeah.
1: It's the best sort of education. Here, yeah. Here's the
0: real stuff. But I probably got a lot of my um, general anti-government sentiment from watching that and having endured the Vietnam War. I probably Those were probably the two big influences on my growing up. But now I look at it and I think I don't really trust the Watergate business at all. I, I, I think Nixon was probably set up. I'm not saying he was a good guy. I, like like right. you, right. I was against his policies, which is kind of what I am with Trump in many ways, because the guy's a big government. I mean, he's just a yes. Democrat from yes. 1962. I mean, he's a he's a Kennedy kind of
1: guy. You know, the best thing going for Trump is his enemies. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's you know the media went berserk. At least you could tell the worst media because they went the most berserk. Um, and and you know, so I think it woke a lot of people up. To Larry Sabato, who's a, a professor at uh, political science at university of virginia commentator a lot of times was asked on some program this is back in in 2016 you know and they were saying well this is the media has been so anti-trump and so on and he said what's what's different the media has always been anti the republican and there's truth to what he said because they have and i think sometimes we think back to walter cronkite And we wanted to pretend that Walter Cronkite was a really good guy and wasn't a leftist, but he was a leftist. And he may have been a really good guy. I don't mean those to be mutually exclusive. Some of my best friends are leftists. But 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 he wasn't the every man, perfect American. that's nostalgia. And and uh, but I think Trump just brought it so vibrantly out in everyone's face that nobody could miss it. And, uh, and, right. and I think it's gotten worse because the media has started reinforcing that this is how we're supposed to behave. We're now better if we, instead of hiding our bias, we hide our objectivity, just jettison the objectivity. And let's tell people, you know, that they should vote this way. And if there's a story, and this is really the worst of all, if there's a story that might lead people to vote in a way we don't want, we're not going to tell them that story. Well, there you go. You bet. All right. Thank you much, sir.
0: I'll talk to you later.